0: Jude, will start in the first verse and read to the seventh. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered, unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people of the, out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening, Lord, as we continue this study in the book of Jude. Lord, may we see, as you have inspired upon Jude to write all those years ago, a further explanation to believers that there's no escaping judgment. An explanation even for believers today that the Word of God, this, this coming in time, should spur us to contend for the faith. It should inspire us to preach your word and to stand fast. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us this evening as we focus in on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Focusing in here this evening on verse number five, I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this, How that the Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed them that believed not. You know, when I was growing up, fake IDs was the thing to have. Everybody wanted a fake ID. You know, when you had a fake ID, it allowed you this opportunity to present yourself as something you were not. But ever so often, you would find yourself in a strange situation that when you was trying to gain access to a place with this fake ID, the person who you were presenting the fake ID to would bust you. And it was embarrassing in many ways. One, they kept the fake ID. Two, the place you were trying to get into, you was not gaining access. Three, everyone who was around you knew that you were a fraud. And so even it is as here in the book of Jude, Jude here in these next three verses that we're going to cover presents to us this experience that even amongst the children of Israel, there were frauds, even amongst the children of Israel, there were apostates. And even more, he says in verse 6, that even amongst the angels, now, this is hard for us to even wrap our minds around, that even amongst the angels who stood around the throne room of God and praised God and magnified him and lifted his name up, even amongst the angels, there were apostates, those who would defect from truth. Those who would be reserved for a judgment until the end of time. Lord willing, we'll cover that next week. And even more, he offers up to us another example. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, even there, even amongst Sodom and Gomorrah, we know lot was saved there. But these people who existed in this time, this condemnation that Jude brings down upon Sodom and Gomorrah means they were not absent from knowing truth they were not absent from knowing the word of god they were not absent from knowing the things of god yet because they knew the things of god and heeded them not judgment was brought down upon them he says here basically taking us back to the beginning of time when you think about it with the angels All the way back to the beginning of time, Judas bringing to light amongst all those who profess the name of God and profess to be a follower of God, there were fakes amongst the believers. Now, this is hard for us to even understand, but we must understand that God is the only one who can see the heart. God is the only one who knows the heart of man. It's hard to fathom that Jude is even going to say that amongst people in the church, there are those who profess to love God, who profess to have knowledge of God, profess to be delivered by God, may have because they are involved in a specific house of God to experience the blessings of God. And yet, Jude says, and they know not God. They are apostates. They are deflectors. They have turned away From the truth that is in God's words. He said that these people, these apostates, they have found themselves bound for judgment. These actions of turning against truth warranted punishment. He moves in on verse 6, as I said, pointing out these angels. But here in verse number 5, he brings us back to this thought of the Israelites. They were anti-God. It's hard, again, like I said, to understand that people inside of Israel would be anti-God. I mean, think about everything that they had just experienced. Delivered from bondage, crossed the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army drowned. I mean, all the miracles that they were able to stand by and witness. And yet, even amongst those people who were able to experience these miracles, there were people in there who were against God. And so we've seen here in the last several weeks, in verse 4, we've seen last week, that you know, in verse 3, he called them to arms. But really, in verse 4, he tells us why he has called us to arms why he's told people to to man their stations. And he says in verse 4 that the reason that this should be inspiring us to contend for the truth, because in verse 4 he said there were apostates in the church, people who were ungodly, people who were unholy, people who turned the grace of God into lasciviousness, the people who denied the Lord God and the people who denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They were defectors from truth. Even more, he says, these defectors from truth were ordained to this condemnation. And not only were they ordained to this condemnation, but they were ordained to the judgment that was to come. We read that in verses 14 and 15. And also in Enoch also, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He warned that this judgment would yet soon come upon them. These were people who knew the truth of God's word. I emphasize this. They knew the truth of God's word. It is better to have never heard God's word and stand before God than have heard the truths and the riches of God's word to hear this saving gospel message and to have turned away from it and stand before God. They, as we said in the end of verse four, they were in love with their own desires. Their desire was to make themselves Lord over their own life. Focusing though on the Israelites. Who knew the truth. And had turned away from it. God had righteously dealt with them. He says in verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this. He set out to give an example to us here. He said. I will therefore put you in remembrance. Though ye once knew this. Remember. Judas talking to believers, not unbelievers. He's not warning the lost world. He's not reminding those who are unbelievers that of what the word of God said. He is bringing the Bible, the word of God back to believers to refresh their memory. Why is he doing this? You know, when we oftentimes engage in speech today, when we say something and maybe it offends somebody or we say something that bothers somebody, we say, hey, you know, relax. We're just kidding. It it was just tongue in cheek. I didn't mean nothing by it. We're apologizing for that which we just said. But what Judas doing here in verse five, he is further emphasizing what he has said in verse four that these people will receive judgment, that these apostates will be judged by God. And then what he does in verse 5, he says, I want to put before you, I want to bring back to your remembrance that what I'm telling you about these apostates being judged, God has already done and God will continue to do. It is by application bringing um, to the present the truth that he's already presented. He has put the pen to the paper that one day God will make this situation right. That as Philippians says, that one day these apostates who deny Christ now, that one day they will confess that Jesus Christ is king of keys, that one day they will profess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords. And he shows here what the Lord has always brought. The Lord has already brought this judgment upon them. Judgment against sin is not a novelty. It's not something that, you know, hey, you know, I hear what you're saying. It's something that's already happened. And so he says, remember how the Lord first saved Israel out of Egypt and afterward destroyed them that believed not? What a troubling statement. He saved the people and then ended up destroying the people, (coughs) the same people that he saved because of their unbelief. Now, to fully wrap our minds around this, time is not given to us to really go back through Exodus and Numbers. But you'll notice that when the children of Israel are brought out of Egypt constantly in the Old Testament, they are referred to as a mixed multitude. This mixed multitude, this mixed multitude, Romans kind of even further emphasizes this, that all Israel was not the Israel of God. Meaning that all the people that were inside of Israel were not the true Israel of God. All those in our application would be all those who are in the house of God, all those who are members of the Witten Place Baptist Church. It doesn't mean that they are uh, redeemed by the Lord. It doesn't mean that they've truly placed their faith in the lord. He said, "I will put therefore you in remembrance though." And so to say, you you already know this. I'm going to say this and I'm sure that as I say this, you're playing out the whole story in your mind. You've probably read the writings. You you've read the Torah. You know exactly what I'm speaking about. You you recognize this story and you already understand what's going on. But do you really understand Jude is trying to bring back what exactly is going on. I know that you know the story of how Israel was delivered out. I know you understand what God has done. But do you still remember the fact that God ended up destroying those whom he delivered? I mean, can you imagine the a charm that these apostates had on the, on the people in whom Jude was writing to at this time? That... I mean, can you picture the setting that these were people in the church, in the house of God, who were denying the truth of God's word and they're doing it in a public profession. And as they're doing this, they're drawing other believers away with them. And as they're drawing other believers away with them, Jude is sitting here from the outside looking in with great confusion, trying to understand, guys, you who have truly believed in God, those who've truly put their faith in God, don't you really recognize that God has handled this situation in times past? Meaning God has handled the situation in times past where apostates have drawn believers into sin? He's been faithful to it. It almost has the ring of what Paul said to the, um, to the Gentiles there in Galatia who bewitched you. I mean, imagine what would, I mean, if somebody was to stand up in a church and to begin to deny the truths of God's word, I mean, what did these people have about them? Was it charm? Was it personality? Was it good looks? Was it position in the church? What had brought these people, these apostates to a place where they had so much sway in the house of God where the people of God would not say nothing at all? Whatever it was, it seems that Jude's frustration was that they were accepted. They appealed against the word of God, yet, it was, it was accepted that they maintained this position that they were against God's word. And he said, after he delivered his people out of Egypt, he destroyed those who believed not. Yet, it was allowed to flourish amongst those who believed. And in the end, it costed those who were saved. A distinguishing feature here we can really see in verse 4 That's being brought to light of an apostate is to know the word of God and not heed it. It's to live unaffected by it. But yet, Jew turns them again to the word of God, hoping that they would be moved in fear. He turns the believers again to the word of God and encourages them and urges them not to turn the deaf ear to how God has already handled himself throughout Scripture. It should be the farthest thing from the life of a believer. It should be the furthest thing in our lives that we hear God's word and not are swayed by it. As a matter of fact, you could even emphasize this even further. That in verses 5, 6, and 7, Jude believes with all of his heart that by bringing these examples of judgment back to the believers that this thought of God judging sin and them being involved in it would make them quiver to the place where they would go away from it, where they would up and remove themselves from it. But yet it's a struggle even throughout history. When I was reading Genesis, going through Genesis this year, it it baffles my mind that when you get to the 16th verse of the 19th chapter, those few words in, those, in that first part of that verse, it says, talking of Lot, and while he yet lingered. And while he lingered, Lot knew that judgment was coming down upon Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels that already came to Lot and said, up, get you out of this place, because the Lord is going to destroy it. And yet, even though Lot knew all of these truths, and even though, so to say, the clouds were forming in the sky before fire and brimstone was going to pour out upon Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin, yet Lot still lingered there. Matter of fact, it would take the angels of the Lord to grab Lot by his arms and basically drag him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then destruction fell. Now, I believe this with all my heart, that this is a painting and a portrait for all those who do believe, who that God will, uh, even if we are in our sin, that at the time of the rapture, we will be brought up out of this place before destruction falls upon the wickedness of the earth. But in the same breath, Lot, this saved man lingered. He lingered in the sin. He lingered in the apostasy. He lingered in these people who openly professed that God was not God, that there was no hope in him, that there was no saving power in him. It brings me to great confusion. And yet, though Sodom and Gomorrah may be worse in many facets than we are today, yet we allow ourselves to participate, to be involved in many things that are anti-God today. And yet when God's word, we'll read it and we study it and we're spurred to let go of the affairs of this life, we refuse to let go. We find ourselves what? Still lingering. So even though it seems strange to us, if we will truly search our own hearts, there's a little bit of lot in us, even though we don't like it. There's a little bit of the reality that as Jude's writing this letter to the church, we even search our own hearts and say, you know what? I need this challenge in my own life today. That the things that I might find fancy in today, the things that I might find entertaining today, those things that seem to capture my eye today, in the end, God will judge those people in those things for those sins. We say to ourselves, well, I've tuned that portion out. I don't pay much attention to that. I just try to do this and I try to do that. Yet we the recognition is Jude's trying to bring you to the place that that which you have involved yourself in will one day be. Judged before your eyes. And Lot lingered. He lingered. And even here we see these believers lingering. So he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, uh, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. They continued in their sins. Uh, they continued in it. Even Israel did. How can we allow ourselves to get here? I mean, what is the set apart when you read about Lot and then you read about Paul? What's the difference? Well, the difference was when Paul, when you get into Philippians, what he says, for me to, to live is Christ, but me for me to die is gain. The greatest affliction to the Christian soul today is that we think living is gain and dying is lost. We want to seize the moment in this life and live it to our fullest extent. We couldn't imagine going a day early. I want to go, but I don't want to go now. I just want to enjoy this and I just want to enjoy that. We minimize the reality and the hope in eternity. We think a little of that and think much of this life. Paul says, I think a little of this life and much of the world that is yet to come. This is the stumbling block that Lot had. He didn't want to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because he thought a lot of what was before him. He thought a lot of Sodom and Gomorrah. He thought that this was the prized possession. I don't want to leave here. Look how much fun we've had here. And yet the reality was this life that he was involved in, saturated in, destruction would come upon. How that the Lord, he says, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed them that believe not. First, he saved them. We love this story, don't we? I mean, when I read these stories to my kids when they were younger, and we talk about how the Lord saved the children of Israel out of Egypt, they don't even want you to tell the story in order before they start blurting out all the different things that happened during this time. We sit back and say to ourselves, wow, after 400 years of captivity, And this was difficult captivity. This was difficult slavery. I mean, this was abuse far beyond really our understanding. Matter of fact, it was hard to even look upon. The Bible says it was so hard to even look upon that when Moses looked out and seen the way that his brethren was being treated, that he slew the man and buried him in the sand. Then we would soon read that as Moses would read that place, he would find himself in Midian and then soon would find himself before a burning bush. And God would use Moses to come back and deliver the children of Israel. But, But before they were delivered, many plagues would come many examples of God's power. When the river turned to blood, the frogs, the flies, the hail, the locusts, the death of the firstborn, this loving God would deliver them out of this captivity after 400 years, after this kind of treatment. And a matter of fact, As they were leaving Egypt, they would be given this opportunity to cross through the sea and turn around and see this army that had afflicted them for so many years. They would have the opportunity to see them drowned in the sea. God would not only deliver them from the oppressor, but he would destroy the oppressor from ever afflicting them again. We read that, we're like, that's amazing. That's my God. I mean, could you imagine seeing God do that today in our lives? Yet, even the more, even the more, by time they made it into the wilderness, just a short time later, what happened? Amongst the children of Israel's apostates began to lift up their voices. They began to murmur against God. They began to complain against him. Matter of fact, they reached a place, even in their own lives, where they began to murmur against Moses and urged him to take them back into captivity in Egypt. Oh, that we would have the leeks and onions. What happened? These same people who God delivered, these people became bitter and wanted back into the old life. And the desire for the old life became greater than the reality of the new life. And instead of those who desired the promised land, they began to, the apostates began to corrupt those who wanted the promised land. And before long, what happened? They wandered 40 years in the wilderness. God would warn uh, Moses and Aaron several times. Matter of fact, the Lord would give a list of 10 things that he had against them in the book of Numbers. These 10 things I charge against you. And what would happen? After 40 years, God would wipe out an entire generation. Why did he wipe out the entire generation? Were they all apostates? No, they were not all apostates. But he wiped out the entire generation because... The people who believed and had faith in God would not stand up against the apostates. Instead, they followed the apostates. Instead, when God sent manna, they murmured against the manna. When God said, only take what you need, they followed the apostates and took twice as much. When it turned to worms, they complained that God did exactly what he said he was going to do. They complained all the way. And finally, God would enact a judgment upon them and upon the nation of Israel, and they would be completely wiped out, except uh, I can't remember with a certain age under. And then they would get to enter into the promised land. And so he says, I will therefore put in your remembrance, ye once knew this. You once remembered this. You once remembered what happened with Israel. I mean, come on, you know the story. You know the story what happened to all the children of Israel when they didn't stand up for truth like they were supposed to? You know exactly what happened. You know that God didn't take light of that even after he did all this to deliver them. He does not take a backseat to his truth. He doesn't take a backseat to his word. So what is Jews' point here to this church? What is Jude's point here to us as this local New Testament church? It's an illustration of the fact that people who were given the spiritual opportunity, Israel knew about the truth of the truth about God. They knew enough to trust in him. They knew enough to put their faith in him. They knew that he could deliver, and yet they knew all those things and they still defected. They made idols. They went on their own way. They murmured. The same people to whom God gave the opportunity to, he destroyed. Why? Because they rejected truth. And Jude is saying what the people of Israel did, so it is in like manner with the people in the house of God. He said there are people in the church, they have identified themselves to be people of God. They even profess that they have a knowledge of God. They've even shown that they have a knowledge of God. They may have even shown an interest in the things of God, but since they have abandoned their former confessions and professed to be unbelievers and anti-God in their speech, as Israel would come short of entering into the promised land, Jude is saying, so it is for the apostates who are among you. They will come short of entering into the promised land. A terrifying thought, if you ask me. It's a terrifying thought to think that people who are sitting in the pew right next to us may end up in hell. It's a terrifying thought to us, to me especially, that to think this thought that people who give a verbal confession are still yet corrupt at heart. They know, they say they know scripture, they proclaim that they have a different master, and yet they will go to hell in the very pew they sit in. Hebrews chapter 3 and verses 6 through 12 says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end, Wherefore, as the Holy Spirit saith, today, if we will hear his voice, and harden not your hearts, as in the, provocation, in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart. They have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin." We oftentimes think about evil as someone who committed murder. We think of someone who robbed as evil, evil act. You know, frustrated today, driving up the road and somebody spray painted the whole front of our family center. Big, bold letters. I say to myself, why evil? But the Lord, what he calls here, evil, evil. Is the heart of unbelief. Not believing that God will do what he says. He says it's evil. He will do exactly what he says. He will judge sin. He will judge the apostates. So what Jude is trying to do in verse 5 here. He is trying to give a reminder to all those who profess faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior to be reminded of what God did with Israel. And he says, I will also judge the apostates. But remember what happened when Israel went and threw out the apostates, but instead followed them. They brought judgment down upon themselves also. And so it is for the church. When people stand up and make confessions against the word of God, it is the church's responsibility to act upon that, lest, not lest God judge them, God will judge them, but lest with them we bring judgment down upon ourselves. This is the urging from Jude to the local New Testament church. Stand, contend for the faith. And if you choose not to contend to the faith, be of the remembrance of this, something you already know. But put this back at the front of your mind while you're refusing to stand for truth. God will judge them, but in the same breath, he'll judge you also. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you, Lord, for what you've done, Lord. I I thank you for this opportunity to work through the book of Jude, Lord, and as we dive into this and get a greater understanding of your word, Lord. I pray for those who... Um, before services, Lord, were lifted up, request of those who are ill, Lord, those who are battling cancer, those who've just come through surgery, Lord. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, you'll strengthen our minds, our hearts, and give us wisdom, Lord, as we interact with these people whom we've lifted up before you this evening, that you'll give us a mind to reach people for you, and that we'll show people this hope and this faith and this uh, excitement that we have in you. Lord, I give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord. Draw us nigh to you in Jesus' name. Amen.